Hello everybody, I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express, and if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's number one Mid-South Wrestling Podcast, check it out, all the products. That's on redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. They have everything from t-shirts, phone cases, mugs. Remember now, redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. Thanks very much, Ricky. And that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid-south moments. We welcome back to the show today, regular co-host Stuart Roberts and Mark Gunderdale. How are you doing today, Stu? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm really looking forward to tonight. Great to be here. Good, no, great, very good to get, very good to see you as well, uh, Stu. And I, we didn't, we didn't mention off air. Hair's looking good as well. You had your f- first haircut for a little while with the uh... first haircut. Yeah, it's now yeah. Like a slick back style. So uh, yeah, I like so, it. Yeah. Looking yeah. good, looking good. Uh, Mark, good. how are you? Feel good, mate. Oh, you've <laughs> had a haircut as well, Mark. I can't see you on <laughs> yeah, screen yeah. yet. Well, yeah, the weekend just gone. Yeah. Yeah, um, looking good as well. Yeah, so we've all had our first haircut for many months. How are you doing, anyway, Mark? Oh, good, thanks. Yeah, good to be back, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one as well. Good stuff. So Mark and Stu, we're gonna we're gonna do three episodes in May 1985. So you're in for a real treat over the next uh, next three weeks. So without further ado, let's get on. Let's get on. Um, and this is May the fourth, 1985. So Star Wars Day. Now I still feel like I should know this, but are either of you fan? I feel like both of you are fans of Star Wars, but I don't know don't know this. So Mark, are you, are you a big fan of Star Wars? Yep, massive. Mainly yeah. the three what I call the three proper ones. Yes, uh, yeah. Didn't bother with any of the prequels, and I quite like the uh, the recent ones they've been doing as well. So, okay, cool. So, the most recent ones are they? Where do they? Where are they in like kind of canon of the story? Well, the three originals were episodes four, five, and six of the story. So they've yeah. now done episodes seven, eight, and nine. Plus, they've done a few sort of in between as well. So. Okay. What about you, Stu? Are you a big fan? Big Star Wars fan? Uh, massive Star Wars fan. Uh, um, I, I'm with Mark. I'm like the originals are always always the best four, five, and six. And uh, although I, I didn't mind the prequels, I mean this is probably another podcast for another day. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I loved Attack of the uh, No Attack of the Clones, the second of the pre, the second of the the prequels. Um, I love the one, and I also I just love the whole uh, the whole you know follow up after four, five, and six. So yeah. Um, and uh, in the UK, we've got some new Star Wars Lego being released on the 1st of May. So I've got my eye on a R2-D2 Lego set. So very much got my eyes ready for that. But yes, huge Star Wars fan. Love it. Very nice. I mean, I must say, I'm, I'm probably more into sci-fi now than I was when I was growing up because Charlotte's really into it. Um, and we have talked, she's obviously watched more and she, she really likes it. And we have talked about watching them in order, like in the order of the story rather than kind of the order they were released but i do feel like i did harry potter lord of the rings and the hobbit with her in while we've been together and i felt like those were hanging over me like a really dark horrid cloud so i do i am a little bit worried about star wars but i think i will enjoy it a bit more than than i didn't mind actually to be fair i didn't mind any of those but i felt like in each of them they were all really long and not all that much stuff happened in them and if you could, could take out like an hour in each film it'd be much better but we, we're, we're getting well away from mid but you, do you guys are you harry potter lord of the rings and hobbit fans harry, harry potter yes love harry yeah. potter and, and and i know mark's yeah harry potter and 
Uh, but I never got on with Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. I, I mm. just couldn't get into them, no matter how much I tried. I tried two or three times, and they just just weren't for me. But yeah, yeah I, I love the Harry Potter films. They're just they're awesome. How about you, Mark? Yeah, like Stuart says, um, I, I similar to you with um, Charlotte getting you into certain things. I'd never watched Harry Potter until I moved in with my now wife, and she was a big fan. So I got into those, and we went to Florida for our um, honeymoon. So I was up to speed for that point with all the Harry Potter stuff at Universal Studios. Yes. Uh, yeah. I've never done the um, Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit stuff, anything like that. I, I think the the running time of three hours per film is one of the things that put me off, and uh, I never started, so... I'll, yeah, I'll no, no, I think still, still work there. One final Star Wars thing. I went to see Return of the... The first time I ever went to America was around the time they re-released the film. So this was, what, 97, I think. Yeah. Um, and we were on a school trip, and I am ashamed to say that I slept the entire way through Return of the Jedi, um, which is shameful, shameful. To be fair, we were 15 years old on a school trip, and we were, like, staying up until ridiculous hours watching, like, rubbish US cable television. I can't even say we were staying up drinking every night. It was literally that, and that's the reason why I couldn't I couldn't stay awake. So. so can I just clarify a point with you? You went on a school trip to America. What 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 school did you go well, to? Well, I didn't. I only went to a I only went to like a normal comprehensive, I suppose. Yeah, like a state school. But we um we went. So when we went when we were in, our, in the second year of senior school, we went skiing to Austria, and I don't think that was all that expensive. And I remember like um. I, I, it was it was a kind of di economically diverse school, shall we say? And I don't remember. I remember that it was fair. That 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 trip was fairly well attended within the you know within the within the year. And I remember taking like a brown envelope in with like a check in for the for this. So I think you paid for it like over like eighteen months or something. It was like of some way in advance. And the teachers decided that that trip to Austria, which wasn't a particularly like like nice. I think we didn't, we, it was like communal showers and like there were cows on the bottom floor, the thing we were staying in. And they decided that America basically, because was, we were slightly out of season, so all, this, all the lift passes were cheaper. Um, and it, it, it basically worked out about the same to go there for a week than it did the Austria ship. Oh, and then, then after, we, everyone went to America. But I think back in those days, it was 97, you could probably get a flight to America for about 190 quid or something. We flew into Boston. So, um, yeah, but it was, again, it was a very... Uh, you know, lots of people were on that and it was just a very, very normal school. And again, probably like 18 months of build up. But I remember watching a little bit of of Nitro the week I was there and it would have been where DDP was was feuding with Randy Savage. So like March 97. Um, okay. So yeah, back in back in time. So anyway, we'll get off of, uh, we off of Star Wars and on to May the 4th, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. So um, this was a rare return to the WWE Network for this episode, which I could not find anywhere online, uh, which is not much good for our US listeners who don't have access to this at the, on the network at the moment via Peacock. Um, get a VPN. Um, Joel Watts and Jim Ross were at the desk and Joel was in a rather vile green and blue plaid shirt with yellow tie accompanied with the now customary Mid-South blazer. Joel ran through the action. We've got superstar Bill Dundee and Terry Taylor versus the Dirty White Boys. And up first, the TV main event, Brad Armstrong versus Jake the Snake Roberts in the TV title tournament. So we headed down to ringside and Boyd, now handcuffed by these Mid-South blazers, was trying to mix things up a bit with a colourful tie, red shirt and red trousers. I thought this was a decent effort from Boyd. Solid five out of ten. Did either of you pick up this uh, this this attempt from Boyd to break the Mid South dress code here in uh, 
May 85. I, I did make comment, actually, on him and Joel there, Matt. What I wrote verbatim was Joel's tie and shirt do not match his navy blue jacket no. or, each, or each other. <laughs> and uh, and then they cut to the ring announcer Boyd Pierce, whose shirt and tie also do not really match. They were going for full on rank clashing there. What any, any thoughts on this stuff? Uh, well, I, I just put I just put Joel Watts nice check shirt. Where can I get one? Question mark. <laughs> so, uh, I, I I wasn't sure. I, well, I wasn't sure if it was a yellow tie or a cream tie, but e- either way, either way, it uh, it certainly didn't. It certainly didn't. See, this is the, the other thing I loved as well Sorry, about the little. The other thing I loved about the little opening gambit as well was, um, uh, and I remember this when I used to do like when I when I was younger, I used to like organise like pool tournaments at my local social club, the mm. hand drawn, uh, <laughs> like hand drawn knockout charts yeah. and stuff like that. I just thought that was just just quality i loved it so. i wish i'd known that you used to do that before i i suggested playing pool versus ut the last time i saw you and uh, <laughs> I, I was the only one not to win a match which was nice um <laughs> I, it's funny i was gonna say that we're we're all old enough i think these sort of, I'm, i think they're kind of in a little bit now but i think we're old enough to have had three stages of these checkered like plaid shirts they call them in america being in fashion so i think these were quite fashionable around sort of our mid-teenage years and then again, about 10 years ago. And then again, now, if you see like a Made in Chelsea, someone, they might be wearing one open with like a white shirt. So yeah, interesting. What goes around comes around in the world of fashion. Um, so this was a match. I was excited to watch as Brad has been really great in all of the matches I've seen him in um, from this time. And the crowd were into the fast start. Ross said the electrifying Brickhouse Brown will be there later on in the hour in a slip of the tongue. Oh, electri- sorry, electrifying Brick. Uh, electrifying brick house brown. I don't know what he said. Do, you, do I? Do you know what he said in terms of slip of the tongue there? Say, uh, save me, Mark. Brick house brown uh, video was it? Coming well, I don't know. The show, or is that the next episode? Oh, oh, I've, I got it. He said electrifying Brickhouse Brown. I can't read my own notes. So rather than electrifying, electrifying Brickhouse Brown will be there, uh, and then also Dirty Dutch Mantel. So there's a lot of arm work from Armstrong on the attack in this one, with Joel doing a good job of talking about his tactics and the impact these holes were having on Jake. Jake eventually got on top around the five minute mark, but his comeback was brief as Bray. Brad rained down punches and Mr. Re- and a Mr. Wrestling Two style knee lift. Brad locked in the sleeper at five forty-five, which Joel called Brad's pet maneuver. Roberts managed to get out of it though, and after a few punches, where Joel, unbiased as ever, shouted, "Come on, Brad!" Jake whacked Armstrong with an atomic drop, which Ross called a tremendous blow to the groin area. Joel protested about this move, but unfortunately his favourite got DDT'd into the mat, which Armstrong sold fantastically, and this one was done in 6 minutes and 57 seconds. Joel would not let this go and was shout- even shouting, come on, Brad, as the ref was counting the pin. Enjoyable match, um, perhaps a little bit a little bit too many arm locks for me in 7 minutes, but fun nonetheless. Mark, what did you think of this TV title opener? Yeah, I, I noted the um, the armbar. It was on for a long, long time there. And I did like at one point, Jake tried to arm drag out of it, but Brad rolled through with him and he didn't let go. I liked how that looked. Um, and um, Jim Ross and Joel Watts both reacted to that inverted atomic drop like it was some huge move, which, yeah. uh, as we'd see later on, it was not so big, but I guess it was a rarer instance back then. And uh, that's the move that allowed Jake to regain control of the match and he won shortly after with that DDT. Yeah, tremendous blow to the groin area. Um, Stu, what did you make of this one? Yeah, I, I'm not too dissimilar to what you guys said, but what I I actually didn't mind like the, the, the arm bars because I thought it actually really gave 
time for the match to sort of like develop. And I'm glad it wasn't like just a two minute, you know, it's a semi-final, isn't it? And it needed some some time. Um, what I like, I, I just like how how pissed Jake looked in that armbar. He, he was just like, really just like so annoyed and stuff like that. Um, and the other thing I noticed as well, I don't know if, I don't know if it was a camera angle, but the turnbuckle pads looked absolutely massive. Uh, I don't know if it was oh, just really? the angle okay. of the, how it was shot. But if you look at it, they, they, they just like, like big pillows on the corners <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, I liked I liked Jake's escape from the sleep hold. It always reminded me a little bit of um, when when Austin had Brett in the Million Dollar Dream and he went up to the top ropes, pushed back, but obviously didn't get the pin. Um, I picked up about the 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 brutal atomic drop because and Joel just was having an absolute fit about it. Was <laughs> I, I just weren't sure why, but it was a brutal DDT. It was a great match. I really liked the match and, and the arm bars didn't really bother me too much because I just think it allowed uh, it just allowed time for the match to uh, to develop, but. It was the right one, and I still can't get my head around Jake's flared wrestling tights. No, they just don't do it for me at all. But I tell you what, um, he's in bad. He's I don't I don't miss the cast cast aspersions after ordering myself a takeaway Nando's for dinner um, this evening to soak up my hangover from yesterday. But he's not in great shape here, is he? Really, Jake? He's not. He's not an old man either. Um, yeah, pre-Titan sport protein shakes, but I know. I mean, I suspect he's probably living pretty hard on the road and he's obviously got he's got, he's got the natural gifts of kind of being a quite a tall guy but he's not in any any shape here at all is he no absolutely no he's not 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 certainly when you look at his his sort of like probably uh 89 90 running in wwf he was quite svelte then i i thought so mm. um, but but yeah he yeah from that from that WWF period as well, that was rare to have a guy shirtless who didn't have yeah. a great physique. But I think Jake always had a lot more to him than the body, and he was able to mm. uh, do well without the uh, too many yeah. of those protein well, shakes. But oh, do you know what though, Mark? Night... Sorry to interrupt you. I think he, I, I think he was probably bang on it actually, because because I've I've read a few things about people who like the, the kind of marginal differences and it helps with recovery and he's he's probably training like a bit harder and that sort of thing but i i think the difference for him from 85 to you know 87 88, 89 I, I reckon he might have been a heavy user actually there's one really good example and i can't think of him and it's someone and i can't remember where i read this whether it's like a finn martin thing or sut or melt or wade keller or someone of around that time that it's like the person that you wouldn't have thought but it was like so like not uh, maybe Dino Bravo actually it might have been who was just like a big guy but he wasn't particularly cut he wouldn't have like an ultimate warrior look but he was apparently like one of the allegedly um, one of the sort of bigger users of it but yeah that might have been on um, Dino Bravo's Dark Side of the Ring episode oh was it okay yeah yeah okay that ma- that makes sense then um, yeah but no, I, I really like Armstrong I'm looking forward to seeing more of him because I've been really impressed with him. obviously Jake's always good uh, next up was the Electra Frying Brickhouse Brown versus Tommy Pritchard and I have to say the music from the WWE Network they overdubbed on Brickhouse's theme was incredible it was like some sort of brilliant 80s funk explosion and it actually got me moving around while I was typing Stu what did you think of this music yeah I, I... I just put the crowd loved the ghetto blaster, you know, coming out big old. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was like, I, I, I was certainly tapping my feet as I was uh, making some notes. 
Yeah, it was. I, I thought they, for, for, for kind of their dubbing, I thought they did a pretty good job with this. Um, really nice exchange at the start of this match of Pritchard having a little to prove after his cowardly DQ loss the previous week in the TV title tournament. Ross said that Brickhouse represents himself so well inside and outside the ring, and the push for Brickhouse is seemingly still in full force. We got an airplane spin from Brown before he headed up to the second rope and headbutt for the win in three minutes. Um, and I did wonder whether Pritchard might get some sort of sneaky pin in this, but clearly the focus is on Brickhouse at the moment. Um, I enjoyed this, and I thought this was a strong three minutes. Stu, what do you think of this match? Yeah, I um, yeah, I mean it was it was fast paced, uh, great drop kicks from from Brickhouse. The crowd were crowd were really into it. Um, I just thought it was really slick between between the two. Uh, nice monkey flip out the corner. Airplane spin. I thought he put it then into an STFU. Just thought I'd mention that one for you then, Mark. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I was really engaged in that match. And yeah, I loved the finish, actually. The headbutt off the second rope was uh, was 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 great. So, uh, you know, again, it was one of those matches where you perhaps would have liked to see perhaps another two, three minutes because there was something, mm. some good connection between the two of them. But um, but but yeah, no, 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 no qualms for me at all. Enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely agree. Mark, what do you what do you think about Brickhouse and Pritchard here? Seeing these two come out immediately after Brad Armstrong in the previous match, it, there's already some incredible physiques on show. I'd put that in my notes before we got into that Jake Roberts um, uh, situation. And I know in the aftermath of WrestleMania the previous month, um, Bill Watts memorably was criticising the WWF on commentary for using out-of-shape guys on their shows. And it was noticeable. it's noticeable at this point that a large portion of this Mid-South roster in 1985 looked uh, big and jacked at, at this point. Uh, these two being in such good shape is what led to... It was an exciting, fast-paced match. And like Stuart said, I was noting the drop kicks, the monkey flips. And um, yeah, it was a good, enjoyable match. And Brickhouse seemed to get a really good connection on the headbutt for the, for yeah. the end of the match. I enjoyed it. Yeah, indeed. Um, Egg Hard Boo Thomas with Dr. Death Steve Williams up against Manchester's own Steve Casey. And Joel said that Williams feels like every time him or Egg Car step into the ring, they're trying to protect the reputation of Oklahoma University. Um, I'm not sure what happened here, but off screen, Thomas seemed to fall through the ropes when trying to run them. I really wish that had been caught by the camera. Um, Casey went over and picked him up and hurled Thomas into Williams on the other side of the ring, hit the crossbody block and then pinned him in 121. Um, yeah, as I said, I really wish that the botch hadn't been missed, but it was just a kind of bizarre state of affairs here. And I still can't really work out why Ed Carr was being used as enhancement talent, given his kind of tough guy, tough man winning reputation obviously reputation from Oklahoma University really odd and um, after the break Williams was with Joel and Ross and Williams called Casey a pencil necked Englishman and he's tried to teach Ed Carr everything he knows he doesn't know what these Englishmen have going in the US but he's going to beat him with the Oklahoma Stampede and I didn't think there was a classic promo from Williams here uh, Mark what did you think of the match the botch and the pro and the post-match promo well that that botch at the end there um Obviously, the plan was for Thomas to bounce off the ropes on one side, and then he was Casey was going to throw him into Doctor Death, who was stood on the opposite side apron. Mm. But because uh, Thomas fell through the ropes there instead of bouncing off them, um, the plan spot did go ahead. But Doc was stood on the apron uh, quite a bit longer than intended before they collided. Unfortunately, um, almost like an AEW about... type. Uh... AEW type interference yeah. or ref thing yeah, that lasts way to, too stick long. Stick to the plan and, uh, and yeah. yeah, it's not always panned out. Uh, I noticed with Steve Casey, this was the first time I've seen him wrestle actually. And um, 
I've never really understood why some wrestlers wear knee pads over their boots. It seems like it's protecting their shins more than their knees. He did yeah, that, that in his match. And, um, and, it, and it was noticeable when at the end of the match, he, he crashed down quite hard, knees first, when he executed the crossbody, uh, which led to the victory. So if his knee pads had been pulled up, it might have been a bit easier on him. I wonder whether it's just laziness to pull him up. Or, or yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Very strange. Very strange. Stu, what did you make of this one between Casey and Ed Carr? I think we spent longer talking about it than what the actual yeah, length yeah. of the match was, didn't we? Which says it all, really. Um, I, I, I've got not really much else to add, really, to be honest with you. You know, obviously, the the felt the fall through the ropes was 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 quite significant. But, um, yeah, nothing really to add there, mate, at all. So. All good. Dirty Dutch Mantel versus Terry Daniels up next. And we are many weeks removed from Daniels getting the full Marine gimmick and uniform. And I'm sure I could see the pain behind his eyes as he waved the crowd during his introduction. And in the spirit of Mr. Mantel's fine back hair, do either of you have to trim that area or are you not afflicted in the same way as Dirty Dutch? Do you go first? Are you, are you a back hair man? No, that, that, I, there is some interesting manscaping going on on Dutch's body. That's what I, <laughs> I was like. Um, uh, uh, no, I... Maybe across just across the top of my shoulders, but nothing, uh, nothing too severe. Nothing too major. How about you, Mark? Smooth like a dolphin, mate. Nice. <laughs> um, Joel talks about shoe baby uh, Mantel's bull whip, and Dutch has said if it can stop a 1200 pound bull, it can certainly stop a two hundred pound wrestler. Ross said he's just noticed that Steve Casey has come near to their area. So I think we're going to get a follow-up promo, which may need subtitles for giving his accent. Um, did either of you used to watch uh, The Ultimate Fighter back in the day with Michael Bisping? He was a contestant on it and then a coach, and they would have to subtitle him. Did you, I think you, Mark, you probably watched that back then, didn't you? I, I watched a few series. I didn't see that. I think that was series three where he won it. I never saw that one. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. I well, saw did... when he was a coach against... Um, Dan Henderson, was wasn't it? Weird he? guy. No, there was... Uh bit of a crazy guy who went in UFC for ah, like, yeah, I know who the late mean. years. Um, oh, I can see his face and I can't remember his name. Yeah, I don't know. Wasn't well, he um, on yeah. Fighter as well, wasn't he, I think? Yeah, and... Um, Chris Lieben? Yeah, they didn't subtitle Bisping in um, in that series. Oh, okay. So they, everyone had got used to him by then. Um, Stu, did you, I can't remember you, you were a UFC fan back in the day, Stu, or not? No, not really. No, no. 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 I mean, it's kind of, um, I think the, the peak of that here is probably on the way down now, but it was um, pretty popular here in the late kind of, what, I suppose pre-2010? And then I suppose Conor McGregor still gets like a big, big uh, pay-per-view bias here, but it doesn't quite feel as big. Um, Ross, yeah, sorry, I've done that bit about Steve Case. Oh, wait a minute. Coming, come, Mayhem, Miller. Mayhem, Mayhem Miller. Mayhem Miller. Ah, yeah. Okay, fine, fine. So it wasn't Chris Lieben. Chris Lieben was a fight somewhere else. I, I can't remember where the Mayhem Miller... I guess they did that in America. I don't, I don't think... Cause I, quite, I saw quite a few of Bisping's fights, but I don't remember that one. Um, so, yeah, there was a really iffy-looking hotshot-style move from Mantel where Daniel seemed to hit both the top and middle ropes, which I think probably hurt. Mantel then finished him off with a front suplex, which he's now calling the MX. Um, before we cut to Casey's promo, um, Stu, any thoughts on this match? I don't even think I've even said... Oh, it's Terry Daniels, wasn't it? I, was say, I don't think I even yeah. saw who Mantel's opponent was. Um, I, again, I've, I've not seen much of Dutch Mantel wrestle, so I was quite quite looking forward to this. Um, I like the fact that he used laces of boots to the eyes. Um, yeah, but that that like you said, that that's what I wrote down. That double rope drop looked looked pretty brutal, actually. That must yeah. have um, that, that that would have hurt. And and again, I picked up on the the the, the front suplex uh, and 
yeah. But it, uh, it was just at the end, it was just the manscaping. It was almost like down his front, he'd almost like like trimmed his sides. <laughs> so because you think <laughs> a hairy guy like that, it would all be joined up. But but his, his certainly his going down his sides looked very smooth to me. So there there have been some some good um, good manscaping going on there. But uh, but yeah, and then obviously it, it tripped into Steve Casey's promo, which we'll we'll pick up next. Uh, Mark, any thoughts on this match before we go into the promo? Yeah, I made a few, actually, because uh, I really like what I've seen so far from Dutch Mantel. I know he's only had a couple of matches. He's just getting started, really. But he's already got a good undefeated streak going, which they mentioned on commentary. And I'm looking forward to him hopefully getting in a high-level feud going soon where he can start cutting some promos. Because knowing how 30 years after this, he was one of the best talkers in WWE a few years ago. I'm presuming he must have been pretty good back then as well. And um, I like uh, his build has been from a place called Oil Trough, Texas. And I thought that's up there with Truth or Consequences, New Mexico on the list of all-time greatest wrestler hometowns. Um, it, I'll mark it down a point, though, because there, there isn't a place called Oil Trough in Texas. Um, there is one in Arkansas, though, which is about 300 miles from Shreveport, so not that far ah, away. okay, yeah. Um, and that... The stun gun, I mentioned that, which you mentioned earlier, Steve, there. Um, it looked like Daniels was supposed to bounce off the top rope, which is generally what happens from a stun gun. But I think Dutch Mantel was a little bit too far away from the ropes and poor Private Terry brushed against that top rope before landing over the middle rope. And I suspect that extra drop made the move even more devastating. Yeah, um, And then the finish, um, he called the MX. Do either of you know what the um, meaning behind... MX would be for his finishing move. I have heard that, but I, don't, I can't. No, I don't know what it was. What, what no. is it, Mark? It it was a new missile that the US had just um, added to their arsenal. In um, it was highly publicised in 1985. Wow. The MX miss, missile. So not a bad name for your finishing move. Yeah, great, great fact there, Mark. That's great. Uh, back from break, Boyd Pierce said a challenge has been made, accepted, and the match is in the ring now. Steve Williams is in one corner, in the other, Steve Casey, who had already been in action during the episode. Williams attacked Casey as he was just taking his ring jacket off, and there was a great little moment as Doc... Did we miss the promo there? I missed the promo? Or is that come... Yeah, I have missed something, uh, I? Yeah, I've missed the Steve, whole match. Steve Casey was match. at the desk... I missed, yeah, the challenge. I missed the, the whole match. match. Didn't happen there, so I scroll, I've scrolled down half a page. You know, what's, uh, what's half a page between friends? Right, now, back to where we should be. Um, oddly, we now got the WWE Networks presented in the most complete form possible due to original production technical difficulties. Warning at the bottom. As Ross started talking about Williams' challenge, um, Casey said it was a pleasure to be there. He called Williams a fine, a big, fine athlete. And he shouldn't be so upset that his protege lost. He is an experience and he was beaten fair and square. He doesn't know what Williams has against him. And while he has a he has a fine, big fighting body, he also has a big mouth to go with it. He says he's never backed down from a challenge and that Williams should try him out there as he's not going to run anywhere. I thought Casey was pretty great here, actually. Mike, what did you make of this promo? Yeah, his delivery was very good. Um, I didn't I didn't note much about the the content of the promo it was um, more I, I googled Steve Casey because I've got a, a decent knowledge of um, British wrestling from around this time and, and I don't remember him his name oh, I didn't at all up. either uh, I did uh, learn that a wrestler by that name 
had defeated Lou Fez to become world heavyweight champion, but that was in 1938. So either this guy's looking remarkably well for 76. He's, or he's, he's aged well. <laughs> it would have been Lou Fez's 105th birthday, uh, I think yesterday or the day before. So, wow. uh, well, actually not when we're recording this. We're recording this a week or so ahead of time. But yeah. Um, sorry, Stu, over to you, Stu. What did you make of this uh, Steve Casey promo? Uh, yeah, I... Like, like what Mark said it was and you both said it was well delivered but I just put is he reading a script because uh, he was looking down for about a minute when he was talking at the desk it was almost like looking at the desk um, for quite a considerable period of time um, but yeah I thought it was a good a good promo yeah he, 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 like you say he was delivered it really well yeah I thought it was good back from break Eddie Gilbert was with Ross and Gilbert said the guys in the tag match couldn't beat his mother and um, that tag match was supposed to be Eddie himself teaming with the Nightmare going up against Richard Dye and Paul Brown Ross explained it was due to be a tag match uh, but Gilbert was still at the desk and Gilbert said people are fixing to see the best wrestler in the world in the Nightmare he said everyone told him he had to go to Mid-South because they had the best competition in the world. He asked where Taylor was, Hacksaw, the Rock and Roll Express, and look what we've got in the ring. Gilbert was really, really good here, I thought, and he talked about the Nightmare's bizarre background, but that was only for him to know. And the Nightmare won this one after pile driving both, both of his opponents in 146. So just a complete showcase for him in the ring and Gilbert on commentary. After the bell, the Nightmare struck the referee and gave him the pile driver too, which is quite a shocking moment. Gilbert got in there and told him to, to basically stop doing anything more and, and don't do any damage to the other referees that come in. Um, I like this whole segment here, and I'm looking forward to Watts' explanation next week regarding the Nightmare's fine and or suspension. Um, Shu, what did you make of this um, this segment, the match and the post-match here? I thought Gilbert was great. Um, the match, I thought, was, was sloppy at best. Um, I thought the... The first pile driver was, uh, yeah, it, it made me cringe when I saw it. It was so loose. Um, the second one was a little bit better. Actually, um, the actual pile driver on the referee was probably the best of the three, actually. <laughs> so, um, um, but yeah, and, and obviously JR was incredulous over what had happened. So, 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 so that was great. But yeah, it was, I, I, I just, I just really put very sloppy and the, the pile drivers, they, they just made me that first one. In terms of what danger or um, or yeah, just it was just loose. Yeah. It, it was yeah. just loose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mark, what did you think of this one? Yeah, much like I said about Dutch Mantel before. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more of Eddie Gilbert as time goes on. Here, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. Um, obviously, he's got ties to ECW, which I'm a huge fan of in later years and so on. Um, uh, the yeah the. When the nightmare pile did a pile driver to both opponents for the win, then he pile drove one of them again before he finally did the referee. And I think that might be the first time I've seen someone in Mid South get physical with the referee. It certainly doesn't happen often, if at all. And it, it seems shocking because it's not something you see too often. And Jim Ross's outrage was excellent. That really uh, helped things along there. Um, and yeah, Eddie Gilbert had to leave the desk in the end. Uh, it was the only thing that could get the nightmare away as more and more officials were entering the ring. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I thought I, I, I enjoyed this uh, quite a bit, actually. And back from break, Boyd Pierce said a challenge has been made, accepting the match in the ring now. Steve Williams in one corner, and in the other, Steve Casey, who had already been in action during the episode. And I've already read this bit out because I skipped forward again, which seems to be a, a pattern emerging. Williams attacked Casey as he was taking his ring jacket off. Um, great little moment as Doc dropped down and Casey just skipped either side of him, let him get up and then drilled him with a punch. I thought it was just really great. Um, Joel said referee Ronnie West had been severely injured and there must be fines and there must be something wrong with a nightmare to do that. Ross said next week it would be Dr. Death versus Duggan in the other semi-final of the TV title tournament plus Ted DiBiase makes his return. Williams hit Casey with a great belly-to-back suplex but Casey was able to get his foot on the rope. Ross said that next week Mid-South had signed the fabulous Freebirds to appear. Williams kicked out just before two from a Casey's flying body block that had been successful earlier against Ed Carr, as Joel said he didn't think the Englishman was a flash in the pan. Casey hit Williams with a superb drop kick as Williams went for a double axe handle. Casey went for a monkey flip in the corner soon after Williams missed a middle rope splash. Williams adjusted his arm brace and Ross speculated he must have something in there. And then Williams smashed Casey with a clothesline, which he followed up with his stampede slam for the win in a brilliant 6.37. Genuinely love this. Great back and forth action throughout. And these two had excellent chemistry. Um, Stu, what did you make of this match between Mr. Casey and Steve Williams? Yeah, I... Again, I was really glad this got some some sort of like proper proper time to sort of like develop and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was it was strange really because I thought Casey was it was almost like doing his doing the the, the the moves in slow motion, but they were so well executed. They were you know it was uh, um, yeah it was, it was it, like I say it was just like slow motion, but but they were they were great moves. Um, I just like this. I just like the stiffness of the shots from both of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like a real, uh, as, as Jay would say, a real slobber knocker um, and, and stuff like that. Um, um, awesome backdrop from 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 Casey. Uh, yeah, I just put love the back and two two big leg drops from Doctor Death. They they stood out. Um, I like the way Casey moved out the frog splash off the second rope. It's almost like he was going into a bit of unknown territory going for the second row of Dr. Death, but, but, um, the, and, and, and again, the, I love the finish, the loaded arm brace running power slam. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was great. And, and like I say, like Mark said, didn't really know of Steve Casey, but really liked what I've seen. I think he's had a good, 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 you know, good first outing really. Definitely. Mark, what did you think of this one? The thing that struck me certainly in the early part of the match was like you said, Steve, some, Nice footwork from uh, Steve Casey, mm. where he was skipping over and around Dr. Death. Uh, it was good. He, he hit a beautiful front drop kick, the kind where you land flat on your back rather than on your side. I enjoy seeing that from time to time. And um, yeah, it was a really good match. I enjoyed it. It went back and forth several times before uh, Doc finally got the win. And he's got a lot of momentum now going into next week. And I think he might beat uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan to win the uh, tournament. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> yes, we will see. We'll see. We'll find out in due course, won't we? Interestingly, I've just um, I've just bought the next set of observers from '85 into '86, and uh, there's not much about Mid South in there at all. But um, Dave Meltzer said in this episode after in, in his issue after this that it was clear that Steve Williams was going to be a you know a kind of worldwide superstar. Now, I guess he. Uh, I, perhaps I don't, I don't know whether you would say he was a worldwide superstar. I mean, he's, he had a, a big run in all Japan, which obviously you know he's famous for in some circles, but not, not obviously perhaps a sort of super mainstream run. But obviously the UWF 
people remember him from very fondly. And um, I think, unfortunately, probably people remember him perhaps mostly for that brawl for all stuff in the WF now, do you think? I, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's a shame. Um, you know, he had some good WCW stuff there between UWF and um, going to Japan as well. And I remember when he came into ECW in 1996, they they treated him as a really, really big deal, a Japanese yeah. um, wrestling legend. And uh, that helped. But then when he did come in for the Brawl for All, I know it was sort of Jim Ross's pet project there, but he was treated like just another guy. And then that, that knockout was the nail in his coffin. Yeah. There. And and I know that he was, in terms of sort of, uh, you know, lot, working strong style in Japan, and some of, so I highly recommend anyone listening, just have a have a Google of some of the... Um, some of the Steve Williams stuff in 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 all Japan because it was so so good. But working that style with all the all the suplex on high suplex on your neck, all of the hard shots, etc. You're not going to be in your peak physical condition to do a real you know a real fight. Um, you know after all that and some years later. So yeah, feel for him really in that. And um, superstar build on D and Terry Taylor versus the Dirty White Boys up next. And just after the ring intros, we got a graphic on the screen that had the Mid-South logo and news bulletin underneath. And I actually said, oh, my God, out loud and excitement about what was coming next. <laughs> so we cut to Bill Watts and Bill Watts said in a, a, so, a solemn tone. That, no, sorry, we, we're not seeing Bill yet. So we still got the thing on the screen. So Bill said in a solemn tone that he was sorry they had to interrupt the exciting main event tag bout. And then we cut to him in front of the wood panel background, which I believe is his home. He said they had a news update of such impact, they felt compelled to share it. And this has never happened in the history of Mid-South. So Saturday night at the fairgrounds Coliseum in Jackson, Mississippi, the NWA commissioned a power pro wrestling film crew to film the world champion, Ric Flair. And they stuck around to film the main event of the show, which is Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Kamala. So we cut to this and, and what said... The crew filmed the whole thing uh, and they showed what he called a premeditated act of terrorism. And in ring, we saw Skandar Akbar struggle with Duggan, looking like he was trying to put something in his face. Duggan went down and then there was a fireball. Watt said that Duggan was flown to a special burns unit by private plane to see if they could save his left eye. Watt said it looks like they've witnessed the end of his career and they have no further update at this time, but will try and give us more info next week. Wow. Mark, what did you think of this breaking news, news flash style segment and the angle here? I really liked how it was presented with the graphic on screen, the fact that they interrupted the, the scheduled match uh, to, to give us this news, but something wasn't really adding up as enjoyable and exciting as it was. Um, I thought this show went out on Saturdays. So yes, I, I know May the 4th, 1985 was definitely a Saturday. Yep. So um, I don't know if it was a Saturday morning show or something. And he was so why they'd have to cut in with something from seven days ago at this point when it hadn't been acknowledged in the previous 30, 40 minutes didn't really work for me. The only thing I could work out any kind of possible logic was if that show was going on the same time as this show, because um, I did go back and check the matches and Randy Anderson, Randy Peely Anderson, uh, didn't referee any matches on this show we've just watched. And he was the referee for that match. Akbar, Kamala and Duggan weren't at this match. So whether they were going out live at the same time and Bill Watts wanted to give us an update from the other show, that well, might have made some sense. So, the, the okay, so this... The, 
I don't know. Stu, give me your th- your thoughts on it first, and then I'll I'll follow up because I've I've done a bit of digging on this. Right. Well, I, uh, yeah. I've I, I, I put I, I put a question mark like scheduling, and I, I wasn't. I got a bit how it was all connected and stuff like that. That said, though, um, it did make for a very dramatic television. I, I did yeah. like it. It was something. It was something a bit different, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? And. Uh, um, and I picked up what he said about like a premeditated act of terrorism and witnessed the end of Jim Duggan's career and stuff like that. And, and you just think like, God, you know, you, you, I don't know if like how often fire, you know, fire balls or fire bombs, whatever you want to say, have, have, have been involved in that. But um, the, the next one, I, I can vividly remember fire was when Hulk Hogan lost to uh, oh, Zuri, King of the Ring yeah. and the, and the, and and the the fire from the camera, which didn't really do anything, but I thought this, you know, it really looked like it had gone on his face, and it was it was mm. it was good. It was really good how it was filmed and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I just loved the I just loved the drama of it. I was so excited about it. I um I, I didn't really comment much on the next patch to be honest. <laughs> but, no, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I I really liked it as well. It, it reminded me of kind of, and this is you know not you know happy memories, but you used to get. Um, you know, I can remember the 80s, some of the eighties sort of terrible disasters and things, and that was that's kind of how the way that you know normal television would be cut in with a with a kind of old like you get breaking news at the bottom of a news channel now for everything. Back in the day before we had twenty four hour news, you'd, you'd be watching you know Coronation Street or something, and it would be news flash and you know something awful's happened, and that was what this was like really. And we went straight back into the arena, and the tag tag action was ongoing. There was no comment from Joel or Ross about what they'd seen, and that, like you, Mark, made me start wondering about the timing of this angle and why it was done like this in between tapings. So I guess firstly, this was this was done to give Duggan an out for the TV title tournament the following week, and he actually didn't work between the match with Kamala and the twenty fifth of May. And um, the TV show aired the same day as the match, but in most markets this TV show aired before the match. So in most markets, I believe this didn't air when this first aired on Saturday. Other markets had this on sun, on a Sunday and also they had a repeat. So I think, um, I think that this version of the WWE Network is the repeat version or this was the TBS show. And the TBS show at the, at the time was on Sundays, but it aired about four weeks after the local market. So this was in a a time just after the WWF had been kicked off of TBS. Um, Jim Crockett were on the Saturday 6 o'clock or 6.05 slot and Jim and um, Bill Watts was on Sundays for about three months. So it's all, uh, you know, a bit of a mystery, but an exciting one nonetheless, I think, in terms of that. But yeah, it's really weird that this taping 100% was before the match and in probably 85%, um, Phil and Terry could could probably say with more you know more definitive, but I've had some guests that got this got this show on a Sunday, but I think the majority of them were Saturdays. But I believe there was a late night Friday showing, so I suspect that that was where this was slot in. So I think again, interesting that WWE, I think WWE have got the TBS version to this because that's probably the easy ones they could lift out of the library, and that's where this has come from. Um, with all that going on, it did take me somewhat away from the match, which ended with a Taylor win by submission in the figure four to the absolute delight on the crowd. Um, have either of you got anything on the match? Because I barely watch any of it to be honest while i was researching this uh i just got uh done i, I think <laughs> i love how dundee was strutting in the ring that that made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah big arm smashed by big arm smashed by dundee uh yeah that was it and figure four leg lock 
yeah, I didn't really get much because, like I said, I was, I was a bit too giddy with. Uh, yeah, this. yeah, me very, too. Very excited. Very excited. Mark, anything to add on this? Uh, the end of this match after the news bulletin. Not the content of the match itself, but I did know it. It feels like Terry Taylor has been used as North American champion the same way another underdog babyface was earlier in the year, that being Brad Armstrong, where he's sort of in a thrown-together tag team wrestling against a duo that they have no history with. And I know going on last is all well and good, but you'd expect the North American champion to be involved in something a bit more meaningful. But I suppose the best you can say is he, he got the win at least when he tagged in and submitted one of the dirty white boys with the figure four. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Ross said at the end, Duggan versus Dr. Death would be next week, which, you know, potentially we know is not happening. And the Freebirds would be there. Um, and top to bottom, I thought this was a really great episode. Um, I enjoyed almost all of the in-ring stuff and the news bulletin was something new and shocking. Um, this was really great and I would encourage people to go out of their way to check this out. Um, so this is the May the 4th, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. I can't find it on YouTube, but it is on the WWE Network and there's lots of helpful ways. Tunnel Bear is one, all sorts of other VPNs um, that I couldn't possibly recommend, but you'll find your way back to WWE Network. Um, Mark, any final thoughts on this May the 4th, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling? I agree with you. There's some really good wrestling, uh, some good matches. It was very wrestling heavy this week with mm. just a couple of quick promos in between. Um, and, and it's striking what a really good athletic talent roster that they have at this point. Um, on one show here, we're seeing future stars like Brad Armstrong, Tommy Pritchard, Dutch Mantel, Steve Williams, Terry Taylor and more. And it was, what, about a year earlier, we were sitting through the likes of Ernie Ladd and Master G most weeks and yeah. there's certainly a noticeable improvement in match quality now at this Not point. for long. So. Not for long, Mark. Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, any final thoughts on this May the 4th, 1985 episode? Uh, yeah, I think this is probably one of the most most favourite episodes yeah. um, that, I've, uh, that I've watched and I'll just put a precursor in that. Not for long. It may not be my most favourite episode <laughs> as, we, as we progress. Um, uh, but yeah, I, the, I thought the wrestling content was was superb. Um, you know, I the, the, I love the Jake the Snake the Brad Arms. I love the fact that they gave a couple of matches some good time to develop yes. and evolve and stuff like that, rather than your quick uh, one two minutes. And if you think about it, we've seen some quite shocking things. You know, so obviously we saw we saw we saw um, not shocking, but we saw Jake progress. But we saw the attack on the referee. Um, we saw some some pretty brutal. I, I thought some pretty brutal moves that 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 um, double rope smash that Dutch Mantel did on Terry Daniels, you know. So I think they've really pushed the boundaries on 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 this one, um, uh, and and I think that the the news bulletin, the breaking news, really sort of like capped off a, a good show. So um, yeah. Probably my my most favourite show to date. This is certainly up there for me with the one with the um, with Joel Watts and Ted DiBiase and and Hacksaw and the best dressed man competition and also way 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 back in uh, Magnum and Mr Wrestling Two and the and the training videos. I just thought this was a, this and this this is not um, this happens sometimes, but this really reminded me of the old night the hour nitros right at the kind of right at the beginning, even before the NWO, where everyone's kind of over. You know, they get in and out. They've got the seven or eight minute match and it's gone and there's lots of angles. And I thought this was really strong. So as I mentioned at the start, these kind gentlemen will be back next week. So until then, thank you very much for listening and we shall speak to you all again very soon. Thank you very much for listening to the show. 
If you've enjoyed it, why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button, follow on Spotify or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments, so why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon.